0: Christchurch, New Malden, Sunday the 18th of June, 2023, 11 o'clock service. Stephen Kurt speaking in the series, Learning from the Early Church, the Spirit of Prayer. So the question, how should we pray? Particularly when we're worried about something. Particularly when we are in a difficult situation. Particularly when we're being badly treated or oppressed in some way particularly when we're up against, or the people that we're concerned about are up against forces that seem overwhelming in their power. We know that we're meant to pray in that kind of situation, don't we? But how should we pray, and what should we expect to happen when we do so? Now, those are good questions, aren't they? And in that passage that we had read a few moments ago, we receive some really good answers because it's all about how the Holy Spirit directed the early Christians to pray in a similar difficult situation. And it's a passage that follows the sequence of events that we've been looking at over our last few services. So think back to Acts chapter three, and you'll remember Peter and John healing a lame man in Jesus' name. And after that, they preached about the resurrection of Jesus. And what promptly follows is that they're taken in front of the Jewish council or Sanhedrin. This is in chapter 4 of Acts. And they're told very firmly not to continue doing this. Now, Peter and John, as we heard last week from Ruth, are defiant. They say that they're going to obey God and continue to speak in the name of Jesus. And after further threats, the council has to let them go but it's been an unsettling experience nonetheless even though they've spoken out and been pretty defiant it must have been really unsettling and so once it's all over at the end of chapter four we hear about how the early Christians prayed about this situation and there are a number of things that I think we can draw out of this passage that could be really helpful for us understanding more about prayer. In fact, seven things I think we can draw out of this passage to think a little bit more about how the Holy Spirit might be leading us to pray when we encounter our own troubles, when we experience our own difficulties within the world. So what do we see within this passage? Well, the first thing that we learn, before actually any prayer occurs, is that Peter and John did this. They reported back, to their fellow Christians, what had happened. Now, this might seem fairly obvious, but the fact that they reported back to their fellow Christians what had occurred reflects their belief that they and the other followers of Jesus were one family. Sharing those things that we're concerned about with Christian friends, that's got a value even before we get to prayer, hasn't it? Because when we share difficult stuff with our fellow Christians, that burden that we're carrying suddenly becomes something that we're carrying together, even before we bring that burden before God in prayer. Sharing the load is a really important part of being one family. But of course, it's easier said than done, isn't it? On Father's Day, we're pretty much affirming our men, But it has to be said that men in particular, me included, will sometimes find it quite a challenge compared to women to make ourselves vulnerable by admitting that we need support. But it's really important. Reporting back that starts this passage really in response to what has happened is quite a lesson to all of us about the importance of not struggling on alone with those things that are difficult that are happening to us because we share them with our Christian brothers and sisters. And that leads on to uh, the next point that follows, which is really an extension of it. The second point is that these believers were together in prayer with the emphasis on together. After Peter and John report everything that the chief priests and the elders had said, And after the other Christians had heard about this, we're told that they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Prayer can be individual, and it's important that we learn to pray by ourselves. But building on the point that I've just made, the biggest emphasis should actually be on the prayer that we do with other Christians. Because Jesus said those famous words, didn't he, where two or three come together in my name, they're... I am with them. Corporate prayer, prayer that we do alongside other Christians, is actually the most important form of prayer. That doesn't just point to the importance of prayer meetings, although they have an important place and we're looking to re-establish more of them at Christchurch at the moment. It also points to the importance of home groups. Home groups are small groups within a church where people meet together usually in someone's home, hence the name, for study, support of one another, and crucially, prayer. Now, those of you who are already in home groups or have been in one in the past will know the difference already that prayer makes. The difference that prayer makes when it's done with a group of trusted friends. And do speak to me if you're interested in joining a home group, because we've got several of them, and most of them have got spaces for new members and we can even form fresh home groups if we need to. But it doesn't even need to be that formal. When a fellow Christian shares something with me that they're concerned about, I've tried to develop the habit, where appropriate, of saying, do you mind if I say a quick prayer about that? Now people can be quite surprised But my experience is that they're always then really grateful as they're prayed for, and they sense that that burden that they're carrying has been shared. Not just with another Christian, of course, but with God himself. It's taken a bit of time for me to develop that habit, but it's a good one, and it's one that I think all Christians are called to develop. Now, I do hasten to add at that point. I think it's much easier if you're a vicar. If you're wearing one of these collars or people are used to seeing you with it on, they don't think it's that odd. They think it's a little bit odd, perhaps sometimes, but they don't think it's that odd. But it's a really powerful thing to do. One of the greatest uh, blessings in my life is the fact that all three of my children are seeking to follow uh, Jesus in their lives. And uh, you can never guarantee that will happen. But one of the things that I've tried to do throughout the lives of my children from when they were very young is when they were really worried about something rather than just us talk about that, say, shall I say a quick prayer about it? And I think that's something that we can get used to doing for each other. And the less fluent that prayer is and the less theologically erudite, etc., the better. (laughs) Because then it's not intimidating. If it's just said in normal words, the more faltering the better in some ways because it's less intimidating. But if we can say to our fellow brothers and sisters, do you mind if I say a quick prayer about that? We will be bringing an enormous amount of God's blessing into that situation. So that's a couple of things from this passage before we even learn about the content of the prayer. But we get on to that now. Because once the prayer actually starts, the key thing to notice, and the third point about prayer, is this. They recognise and they call upon God's sovereignty over the world this is the way they bring, begin their prayer with these words they don't say oh this has happened please sort it out lord god they say this sovereign lord you made heaven and earth and the sea and everything in them so why does their prayer start that way is it just an appropriately pious introduction before they get on to asking god for what they want him to do or is it more than that Of course, the answer is, it's more than that. Because what they're doing is they're acknowledging, before they ask God to do anything, that he is the one in control of the world and everything within it. We see the same within that Old Testament prayer of Hezekiah that we also had read to us earlier. Acknowledging God's sovereignty over the world. As soon as we acknowledge that, it makes a difference. Because what we're doing is reminding ourselves that this world isn't a random world full of chaos, but it's one under the authority of God. A few weeks ago, I spoke about the ascension of Jesus and the importance of the ascension in showing that Jesus is already reigning in heaven and is therefore already ruling Over the earth. And recognizing that, recognizing the truth of the ascension, makes a really important difference to our prayers. Especially when acknowledging God's sovereignty through Jesus is balanced by a fourth point about prayer coming out of this passage, which is this. Those early Christians recognize that this sovereignty of God and Jesus is constantly being challenged by a rebellious world. Those believers, they quote from the Old Testament in their prayer and they quote Psalm 2 and they quote the Holy Spirit's words through David and these are the words that they quote. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the world take their stand and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against his anointed one. This is the crucial balance to the point I just made. The thing that stops our acknowledgement of God's sovereignty over this world being pious claptrap is when we also acknowledge a spiritual battle going on between God's anointed ruler, Jesus, his anointed one, as it says there, and all of those powers that currently refuse to acknowledge him. Now, I don't know how you feel about acknowledging the existence of a spiritual battle going on behind the hardships and difficulties that we face. Some people tend to regard that as a little bit superstitious, but to me it's really liberating because it gives a dignity and an importance to those hardships that we're suffering, particularly when they're the result of oppression. We're able to see that hardship as part of the lot that will always come the way of those who follow Jesus. And it's because the powers of evil are real, and they don't like it. And it was Jesus himself who said these words in John 15, wasn't it? He said, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. But there's another important point about recognizing the existence of a spiritual battle going on, which is this. Acknowledging when we're being oppressed that there's a battle going on with the powers of evil helps us to keep loving those who unwittingly, in most cases, are part of this. In his letter to the Ephesians, which uh, we're looking at in Sunday School for Grown-Ups on this coming Monday evening, and we looked at a group of us last Sunday, St. Paul says these words. Paul is in prison. He's being oppressed by very sort of physical Uh, Powers and authorities in the world, the sort of powers and authorities you can see. But look what Paul says here. He says, Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. This is the introduction to that famous passage on the armour of God, which you might be familiar with. If we acknowledge the truth, in that section of text there. We can simultaneously pray strongly against those forces of evil while continuing to love those who are treating us badly and pray for them. If we don't make any distinction then it's difficult to carry on praying for those people who are oppressing us and loving them, isn't it? But if we acknowledge that a spiritual battle is going on then we actually can do both of those things. We can stand up powerfully against the powers of evil while continuing to love those people who are perhaps caught up, maybe unwittingly, in being their agents. Now, it's never easy, of course it's not. But it does become possible when we acknowledge that the situation that we're in, particularly as followers of Jesus, is an almighty tussle, literally, between God's anointed ruler Jesus and those powers that are defeated but still in rebellion against his rule. And that's what we see in a fifth point coming out of this passage. We see the believers applying this spiritual interpretation to their situation. So they've acknowledged God's sovereignty, they've acknowledged a, a world in rebellion against God, and now they apply it in rather more concrete ways to their situation. They mention Herod and Pontius Pilate, don't they, who just weeks before who conspired against God's anointed in Jesus and put him to death. But as well as acknowledging that this was all part of a world in rebellion against God, we see another statement of God's sovereignty over this when they say these words. They say, they did, this is Herod and Pontius Pilate, what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Sometimes very difficult to see what God is up to when tough things happen, isn't it? We can be sorely tempted to think that God either doesn't care or that he's not really in charge. And it takes a real step of faith to believe that God, however things might look, does care and is in control. And through the bad things that he's allowing to happen is somehow working towards his purpose of fully revealing his love. The challenge to believe that is actually the challenge we face every time we pray. And that's part of why it's so much easier not to pray about the things that we're worried about. It's so much easier not to pray and simply fret about the things we're worried about because then we don't face this theological challenge of having to put God's sovereignty, which we believe in, alongside the evil that continues to exist in this world. But instead, God wants us to do precisely that. He wants us to place our difficulties and our troubles and the oppression that we undergo, as the early believers did, within this paradigm that the Bible supplies us with, of a God who is sovereign over this world, in and through Jesus... And that of dark spiritual powers that for a time and ahead of the promise that they'll one day be totally destroyed are currently kicking back against that. And those of us who follow Jesus are caught in the crossfire. And all of this forms the foundation of the sixth point about prayer from this passage. Which is that the believers then make their appeal to God, but an appeal that's changed by all that has gone before. And it's that second bit, if we highlight that now, that is so important. You see, we're all familiar with the shopping list approach to prayer, aren't we? Please, God, give me this, and this, and this, and this. And we all feel slightly uncomfortable about this. But the shape of the Lord's Prayer, which we'll be saying later in this service, shows that it's perfectly fine to ask God for what we want once it's placed within the framework of acknowledging who God is, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, acknowledging God's sovereignty, the next bit, your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as in heaven. And it's only then that give us this day our daily bread occurs, doesn't it? And even then, within the context that follows of that spiritual battle that we're involved in, with the request for us to be forgiven as we forgive others, followed by that further request to be delivered from temptation and evil. And the point is this. When we acknowledge those really important truths about God and the world in our prayers, not always by saying them, as the believers do here, but always through believing them, our prayers are then very different. Just think back to the request that those Christians make, having acknowledged these things. Rather than saying, please God, take this horrible situation away, they simply say, and I should have put this up on the screen, they simply ask God to consider the threats being made against them and then they pray for boldness in proclaiming Jesus and for God's power to continue working as they do so. It's a truly remarkable prayer. You'd think they'd say, oh, just Lord God, sort out the Sanhedrin, you know, break their power, stop them getting in the way. They say, consider their threats. They hand it all over to God. Consider their threats and help us to continue speaking with boldness. Those other people, God, you deal with them in whatever way you see fit. But as for us, would you give us the courage and the spirit to keep proclaiming you boldly? It is a remarkable prayer. And it's one that's totally guided by what those early Christians believed. It's actually a prayer that shows us just how important theology is. Theology isn't a dry and dusty thing. It is a deeply practical thing, and it's vital It's vital for giving our Christian lives guidance and direction and, as I say, liberation. Because it's biblical theology about God and the world that helps us to understand our place and the place of our problems and particularly our suffering within it. The reason why we've launched this Sunday School for Grown-Ups, which takes place uh, twice a month on a Sunday evening and then the rerun sessions uh, eight days later on uh, the Monday, is because of emphatically believing that biblical theology really does make a practical difference. When people are able to sort of get their ha- head around the truths about God that have been revealed through the Bible, it makes such a difference to our ability to cope with the difficult stuff that comes our way. So I do uh, commend that to you. But actually, Sunday Screen is what we're doing on the third Sunday of each month now here at Christchurch. And it's where we show films on a biblical or Christian theme. And uh, I think the notices have been given already about this. Is that right, Katie? Did you mention this earlier? But uh, what was said earlier was that we're in the middle of a series of films connected with the famous writer, uh, Christian writer, C.S. Lewis. And tonight at uh, 6.30, has been said, we're showing this film, recently made, about how C.S. Lewis became a Christian. It's a fascinating film. We're starting, as Katie said earlier, with food at 6 o'clock. We're sharing at 6.30. Hopefully the thunderstorm won't uh, destroy the possibility of this being shown. It's a film all about how C.S. Lewis became a Christian. But the film last month, again with a C.S. Lewis connection, was the film Shadowlands. Now, this is more of a Hollywood film. But it's very moving because that film depicts the story of C.S. Lewis's relationship with Joy Gresham a woman that he met, formed a friendship with, it eventually developed into love, and she tragically died of cancer. It is a fantastic film, and at one point, around the time that C.S. Lewis discovers that Joy has cancer, C.S. Lewis, played by Anthony Hopkins, is asked about prayer. And what he says at that point in the film is very interesting. He's encouraged to pray because God can bring about amazing acts of powerful change. But C.S. Lewis responds by saying, I don't pray because it changes God. I pray because it changes me. I don't pray because it changes God. I pray because it changes me. Now the gift of prayer is a mystery. And the truth is that we're not completely sure how it works. But it does change us. And that's really the final point about prayer coming out of this passage. Because we see this. The Holy Spirit was present and those Christians were transformed. In the last verses of the passage it says this. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word of God boldly. Now actually, as Acts continues, we see that that oppression does continue. The Sanhedrin and those who are set against them, they do continue oppressing them. We get the stoning of Stephen later on in Acts chapter 7 and so on. Persecution carries on right through the Acts of the Apostles and of course has through most of the subsequent history of the church. So what was the point of them praying? Well, the point of them praying was that they brought this situation before God and they were the ones who were then transformed through coming before God in prayer. It wasn't necessarily the answer that they were expecting, but it certainly was the answer that they were open to. And that's what happens when we come before God in prayer particularly when it's founded on the theological truths that God has revealed that he is sovereign over this world. It's a world that still contains a great deal of rebellion against him. And that paradigm is one that we're called to place our situations within and come before God with the humility that says, consider their threats, but enable us to continue speaking your word with boldness. Sometimes we can get amazing answers to prayer, and I don't want to imply that when we bring before God problems, God doesn't sometimes take those problems away in really dramatic ways. But nonetheless, coming to God in this spirit of openness that says, Lord God, you're sovereign, we're living in a world that's in rebellion against you, we bring that before you now, is actually the path to us being further transformed Through the relationship with god that he's brought us into and prayer of course plays a crucial role in the nurture and development of that relationship let's pray for a moment father god you call us to pray to you and we will shortly be doing that but we pray now that this prayer would transform us we pray that you'd help us to keep praying to you so that it will become part of the mechanism by which you change us further into the people that you want us to be. We pray that we would, either through our words or our thinking, constantly acknowledge your sovereignty in the ascended Jesus already reigning and ruling over this world. We pray that we'd be realistic about the spiritual powers that are still seeking to rebel against you, And we pray, Lord God, that where we're suffering oppression of whatever kind, we would be able to place it before you so that you can continue to shape us into the people that you want us to be. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.